Well, Christy and I are really thankful to get to be with you guys this week. We, uh, we love skiing and we love college students. And so this is a great time together. And uh, I know most of you have seen me sometimes standing in front of our church talking, but that doesn't mean that I know all of you. So we'd love to get to know you guys uh, more this week. Some of you guys I've known for a long time, but you look different than the last time we got to hang out for any length because you are now old and like adults and it's awesome. Some of you I haven't had a chance to meet so uh, we'd love to meet you. Feel free to come up, say hi to Christy and I, introduce yourself and tell us like what color ski jacket you have so we can recognize you when we're out on the slopes too which is great. You know I think this is the uh, the second college ski trip that Christy and I have been on. The first was when we were in college. We, uh, we grew up in southeast Missouri which is a long way from Colorado. And so we used to do ski trips driving west from Missouri across Kansas. And uh, on the college ski trip we were on, we were in a 15 passenger van and we were pulling a U-Haul trailer that had all of our stuff. And uh, a guy who's now a countryside missionary, Mark Scarborough was driving that van and it was his parents' van and it was snowing and icy. And the main thing I remember from that trip was us spinning around all of a sudden in the median of the highway and seeing the U-Haul pass us. And it was like, this is not good. And it kind of smashed into the side of the van. But thankfully, we were able to keep going. And, and uh, I think the rest of the trip went better from everything that I remember. But um, it, was, it was eventful. So glad we had a safe trip here, all of us. And uh, at that time, I was dating Christy. I was a freshman in college. Um, I had been a nursing major for the first semester of college. I then realized that I didn't really like the sight of blood or needles, and so that was probably a bad idea. Um, and so I was at that season of life that you guys are, where it was like looking forward to the future, trying to figure out what is life going to be like? What are the decisions that I'm going to make? How is this thing going to unfold? And, and really, that's, that's the joy of this season that you guys are in in college. You know, probably one of the, the biggest questions you guys get or most frequent questions you guys get is like, what are you planning to do with the rest of your life, right? And you're probably tired of that question. You don't have to answer that when, when, we, uh, when we talk on this trip. You're, you're figuring that out. But what, what do you want to do? You know, to some degree, you are thinking about your life and what you hope it will be. You know, the reality is, guys, you get one shot at life. That college ski trip for me feels like a really long time ago on the one hand. Uh, it feels like just yesterday on the other because life flies by. It's brief and we don't get a rewind. We don't get a do-over. The, the scriptures teach that life is but a breath. Job 7, 7 says, remember my life is but breath. My eye will not again see good. Psalm 39, 5 similarly says, you've made my days as handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. You know, I think that that resonates here in Colorado because when you walk outside and you breathe and when it's cold, what do you see? You see your breath in the air and it just it's there and then it's gone. That's that's life. That's the analogy that scripture uses. So your life is brief. You get one shot and how you live matters. That's really the the theme of the text that we're going to focus on at least the first couple nights. Turn to Ephesians chapter five. I want us to look at just a, a couple short verses that remind us of the importance of how we live. The importance of, of being careful how we live. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, says, Therefore be careful how you walk, 
not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want you to notice first the the exhortation that Paul gives to a carefully lived life. Notice how he begins this section. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Now, now you understand, he's not talking about things like avoiding tripping hazards or when you are on a ski trip and there's patches of ice, be really careful how you walk over those things. He's, He's building on a theme of Christian practice in light of our position in Christ that began back in chapter 4, verse 1. And in fact, this is the, the sixth time between chapters 4 and 5 where he talks about a Christian's walk. Notice back in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In, in chapter 4, verse 17, he refers to the fact that we should walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. Chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love just as Christ loved you. And, and chapter 5, verse 8, walk as children of light. You see, our walk, as Paul is describing it, is, is that pattern or manner of life that we have has nothing to do with the steps that you take, how many or how long they are, how careful they are. It has everything to do with how you live on a consistent basis. And Paul says, be careful how you walk. It's a word that's not used real frequently in the New Testament. In fact, usually it's, it's in a context more of, of being careful in, in other ways, not how we live. Like in Matthew 2, you remember when Herod sent those to find out about the child who was born in Bethlehem. He said, go and search carefully for the child. They weren't just to go and kind of be like, hey, anybody seen a baby? No, nobody's seen a baby. They were to look carefully for that child. Or Luke 1, where where in verse 3, Luke says, it was fitting for me, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you. Luke, as he was writing his gospel, he didn't just say, you know, I think I've heard some stuff about Jesus, and I'm going to put it down on paper and and hope for the best. No, he carefully investigated. He he interviewed people. He he did his research so that the things that he wrote were accurate. That's the idea of this word, things that are are accurate, that are are carefully uh, investigated, giving care and attention to something. Now, we're not searching for a baby, for the Messiah. We're not investigating something to to write a a gospel. Paul says in this context, be careful how you live. Rather than simply being swept along and kind of haphazardly going through life, carried around by maybe your circumstances, just kind of what seems to happen to you, or carried along by others, their expectations of you, or or how they live or think you should live, or, or the cultural influences, or even our own desires or feelings. Paul says, no, be careful or intentional how you live. Give it careful thought and consideration. That's the exhortation to a carefully lived life. Now, now before we unpack more of this text, I, I want us to, to recognize that this can easily be misunderstood. If you just think about that phrase, a carefully lived life, You can misunderstand that. So let's secondly consider the misconceptions or some misconceptions of a carefully lived life. 
What do we not mean when we say, be careful how you walk? The the first thing I I want you to recognize is he's not saying that that we should live an overly cautious life. A, A Christian life is not a life that is lived kind of paranoid about anything bad happening and being super cautious. You know, some of you today got to ski or snowboard for the first time. How many of you guys, this was your first time to do that? I commend you for what you went through today, and, I, and tomorrow will be better. Um, it, it gets better. It's, it's a, a joy. But it, it was right that you were probably cautious. Any of you the first time up said, hey, I, I've seen those black diamond things. Those look cool. I want to go down one of those. No, nobody did that. You, you all started on something that was reasonable and and, and so it's right that you were cautious, but if you're overly cautious, learning to ski or snowboard, if you're like, no matter what, I do not want to fall, you, you will never learn. You will never get anywhere when it comes to skiing or snowboarding. Now, the reality is, if that's you at the end of this trip, if you don't learn how to ski or snowboard, it's actually not that big of a deal. Life goes on and it's okay. I hope that won't be true for you. But in, in life, many people live very much focused on Uh, on avoiding things that would be difficult or avoiding those things that are uncomfortable for them. Our culture places extreme value on safety and comfort. And again, some of that's right. It's good that we're all wearing helmets out there and different things that that are, are not needlessly putting ourselves in harm. But we shouldn't prioritize safety and comfort above all else, even though we can be tempted to think that way. Now, that doesn't mean we should live as recklessly as possible, right? But the Christian life is not driven by or constrained by our safety or our comfort. The Christian life is to be one of risk for the sake of Christ in ways that he calls us to, and a life of courage in the midst of those things that will be difficult or uncomfortable for us. If you want to be safe and comfortable all the time, you will end up being disobedient to Christ. Many of you got to meet some new countryside missionaries early in December that came who live in Nepal. They live and minister at about the level of elevation that we're at right now, only they don't have things like heat and running water and like power to to make life comfortable. They're there. Why? They're there because Christ is worth it and the gospel needs to be proclaimed. And if they said, you know what, we only want to do what's safe and comfortable, Those people there would not hear of Jesus. Now, again, that doesn't mean all of us need to go there. They're uniquely gifted. But but for us to say we want to live faithfully to Christ means that we will do things that are difficult, things that involve risk or hardship, and we need to have the courage to do that. So living a careful or having a carefully lived life doesn't mean you live an overly cautious life, nor does it mean that you live a life paralyzed by the fear of doing something wrong. I think some people live that way. You may have felt that way when you were trying to learn to ski or snowboard today. One of the things that's very common when you're learning is you're like super tense and nervous. You probably felt that way. And you're like, oh, if I do something wrong, I'm gonna wipe out. And it's a difficult thing to do. Once you get the hang of it and you can actually relax and enjoy it a little bit, at least as a skier, I don't know that snowboarders ever feel that way. But (laughs) skiers, we can feel that way. And so, but, but you can be overly paralyzed by, by this fear of failure. That's not what Paul intends for us either. I think of the, the parable of the talents back in Matthew 25, if you want to turn back there 
You may remember the parable in, in verses 14 to 29 where there was a man who went on a journey and he gave some of his own slaves some, some various things that he entrusted to them. It says, to one he gave five talents, to another two and another one, each according to his ability, and he went on his own journey. And the one who had five talents, he invested that and, and made more in the same manner the one who received two. But the one who got one, it says this in verse 18. It says, but he received the one talent, went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Why did he do that? Well, he tells us down in verse 24, when the master returned and was saying, what have you done with what I entrusted to you? He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. What was true of that slave? He was so scared about messing up, about doing something wrong, that he did nothing. He was paralyzed by fear of his master. And instead of investing that at some risk, he hid it in the ground. You know, sometimes people are so afraid of failing that they do nothing. Or they're so afraid of failing that they live with a sense of, of guilt or dread. And, and guys, often that comes from a misunderstanding of the gospel, a, a minimization of the gospel. You guys, we are not saved by living a careful life. Paul is talking here about what it means to live as a Christian, not to become a Christian. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No one can live carefully enough to merit heaven. It's only by the imputed righteousness of Christ that we can be right with God, that we can be saved. And so if you repent and believe in Christ, how does God view you? He views you as if you'd lived Christ's perfect life, Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guys, it's that understanding of the gospel and the assurance that comes from that and the freedom that comes from that that allows us to pursue a carefully lived life without being paralyzed by the fear of failure. So carefully lived life is not a perfect life. So what does it look like? What does that kind of life look like? Well, let's look third at the description of a carefully lived life. Look back at Ephesians 5, where Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. See, what are we to be careful to do in our lives? Is it to be careful to make as much money as possible, or, or to be careful to eat well and work out to live as long as possible or whatever. No, it's, it's to be careful to live not as someone who is unwise, but as one who is wise. You see, a carefully lived life is one that is intentionally based on and built on the wisdom of God. You are to be careful to live in accordance with the wisdom that God has revealed. In every area of life, every detail of life, you should be eager to understand and embrace the wisdom of God. Somebody tell me, what's an area of life where God gives wisdom for us for how we should live? You got to stay awake because you're tired, so you need to talk. Yeah, Marriage, okay? Yeah, God tells us 
about marriage, who, the kind of person we should marry, how we should function in marriage. What else? Yeah. Okay, yeah, how to talk to people, how to treat people who do not treat us well, who are not nice to us, who are not kind to us, maybe our enemies. What else? Yeah. Yeah, work ethic, how we should work, what that looks like, whether that's school or a job or doing things at home or cleaning up your room at college ski trip or whatever it is. What else? Yeah, how we're supposed to function in the church, to prioritize that, the things we're to do, how to use our gifts, all those things. What else? Yes? Disputes, yeah. How to, how to handle conflict, how to interact when there's disagreement with people. What else? Yeah, family. How to treat parents and grandparents, how once your parents to treat kids, and what those interactions are to look like. Other things? Yeah, confession and repentance, how to handle sin when we fall short of God's standard, of God's glory, when we disobey. What else? How to study his word. Yeah, how to study his word and the priority of that. Other things? We could go on for a long time, right? Every area of life, how you talk, what you watch, what you listen to, what you do with your money, how you use your time, how you view and treat authorities, other people, your speech, all of those things God's Word speaks to. And Paul says you should be careful to live according to the wisdom of God's Word. Now, how do we gain this wisdom for life? The, the reality is there's only one source of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Paul doesn't directly state that here in verse 15. He gets there in verse 17 when he speaks about the will of the Lord. But Paul is clearly saying this is the wisdom not as the world defines it, not as you come up with it. This is living in accordance with God's wisdom. There is no wisdom apart from Him. He is the source of wisdom because of His character. He's all-knowing. He's good and wise. And He's your Creator and mine. We're reminded of that here. You know, you go up on the mountains, and it's like, wow, this world is truly amazing. You know, DFW, you can see some of things that are amazing. We have cool sunsets and things like that. But, but we have no mountains. And so you, you come out here, it's like, man, God made all of this. He is the designer. He is the one whose glory is on display. And so we need to look for him, to him, for wisdom. And he has given us that in his word. You know, if you get a new, a new game or something for Christmas, what's the first thing that you do? You, you pull out the instructions to know how to play this game and what to do with that so that you can have the most fun with that game. God has given us the instructions for life. You guys, the most basic decision in your life comes down to who are you going to believe, who are you going to trust, who are you going to look to as your source of wisdom? Is it going to be the God who created you? Which is why the foundation of wisdom really, according to the scriptures, is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
Guys, your fear of the Lord is really inseparable from you living a life of wisdom. One author says, what the alphabet is to reading, notes to reading music, and numbers to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge in this book. What does it mean, though, to fear the Lord? It's really an attitude of our heart before the Lord, an attitude of our heart towards God. You know, we tend to think of fear as being afraid or terrified. Some of you felt that today. You were at the top of a hill, and you looked down, and you're like, this is not good, and you were afraid. That's not exactly the fear of the Lord. If you're a Christian, you don't have a terror of God, although if you're not, you should. He's holy and righteous and full of anger and wrath towards sin, and He will punish sinners for all of eternity. But if you are in Christ, that is not a trembling terror of God, but it's a, an awe and a respect of Him, recognizing that we do not treat God casually. We, we have a reverence of Him. Richard Mayhew says, Fear of the Lord carries a, a bittersweet connotation. On the one hand, there's a sweet awe, reverence, and submission to the Lord in whom a true believer delights because of his steadfast love. But on the other hand, there's a proper dread and fear of God's response to sin and iniquity. We, we love God, and yet we have an awe and a respect for Him. Again, standing out in the creation as we look at that helps remind us of how small we are and how great God is that should give us a fear and an awe of Him. You guys, this is the foundation of, of wisdom, of living a life of wisdom. It's that awe of God. If you have not come to Christ in repentance and faith, humbly recognizing Him as your Lord and Master you will not gain wisdom. Apart from that, you will end up despising and rejecting the wisdom that God has said. When you think something and God says something that are different, you will go your own way. Proverbs 1.7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. But if you love and respect God, you'll be eager to receive His wisdom. And we can grow in that wisdom. But how do we do that? Proverbs 2, 2 says, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. You see, to be careful how you live and to walk in wisdom doesn't just mean that you say, okay, in every moment, I want to ask myself, what would God have me do? And then I'm going to try to do it. Because there are moments where you don't know what God says to do where your flesh and your heart and maybe the people around you are saying things to you and you're like, I'm not sure what it looks like to honor the Lord. That's why we have to seek wisdom. We have to be attentive to wisdom so that then we can live in light of that wisdom. Proverbs 18:15 says, The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. You see, you and I need to be zealous in our pursuit of God's wisdom, listening to and embracing the truth of God's word, which makes us wise. 2 Timothy 3.15 speaks of how the, the sacred writings give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. They teach us all we need to know about God and ourselves and Christ. But really, we gain all wisdom about all of life through the scriptures as though they direct us to Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
So if you want to live a careful life of obedience to Christ, you want to make the most of your life, you need to be eager to understand God's word. And part of that means listening eagerly to those who are helping you to consider the details of your life in light of God's word. You see, it's hard for us in isolation to understand God's wisdom and apply it to our life. We need others. We need the body of Christ. We need those who are older and more mature than us to impart to us God's wisdom. This is why humility is such a key part of the pursuit of wisdom, recognizing we don't know everything we need to know. We need to be eager to learn from the scriptures and from others. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That's so prevalent, isn't it? People who think, I know all I need to know and and what I think is right and best. By contrast, a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Let me ask you, does that characterize you? Even at this season of life, which is a, a great season, where you are growing to be more independent. Some of you guys live on your own. Some of you still live at home with your parents, but you are becoming, you are an adult and are moving towards independence. You get to make more and more of your own decisions. You get to decide how you're going to do different things, how you're going to use your time and your money and those things, which is great. But in that, don't be a fool who is right in your own eyes. Be one who is eager to listen to the counsel of others. That should be characteristic of you. A carefully lived life is one that is intentionally based on and built on the wisdom of God in every area of life being eager to understand and embrace His wisdom. Now, certainly as a Christian, we should be growing in that commitment. That's what Paul is urging the church at Ephesus and he's urging us to do is to be careful how we live in that manner. But really, this is one of the defining characteristics of true believers. If you're in Christ, you will have a desire to listen to God's word and to live in light of that. I want you to see this. Look at at Matthew 7. Turn back to Matthew 7. And hear the words of Christ. He's, He's just described at the end of the Sermon on the Mount how there's a a narrow gate and a wide gate. Many go through the wide gate to destruction. Few go through that narrow gate. He's just said things like in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father will enter. And then verse 24, as the conclusion to this sermon, he says this, this. he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell And the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What's the difference in the wise man and the foolish man? It's the wise man has heard the words of Christ and acts on them. 
That's the person whose life is built on the solid foundation. And when the winds and the rains and the storms of life come, they have a sure and solid foundation, having listened to and acted upon the words of Christ. Jesus is saying, it's, it's great that you heard this sermon today. It's great that you heard my words, but the defining characteristic of one who is wise, ultimately one who is saved, is that they hear and they accept those words, as opposed to the one who hears and does not act on them. Yes, we need to be the wise man who built his house on the rock because we hear the word and we apply them, we act on them in our life. If you turn back to Ephesians 5, we're going to look more closely tomorrow at verses 16 and 17, but I want you to notice briefly how, how Paul elaborates on this idea of wisdom and foolishness in verse 17. He, he says, so then do not be foolish, that's the same as the unwise man in verse 15, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So, so another way we can think about what it means to live carefully is it's to live in God's wisdom. And in verse 17, he says the opposite of being foolish is understanding what the will of the Lord is. You know, when, when the scripture speaks of the will of God, sometimes it's speaking of that as, as God's sovereign will, of his will of decree, of the fact that whatsoever God wills comes to pass. Sometimes it's speaking of God's moral will, of his will of precept, of what does God desire for you in how you live. You will never be outside of God's sovereign will in your life. God has decreed whatsoever will come to pass. But you can be outside God's moral will of what he desires and commands of us as to how we should live. You know, many at, at your season of life focus on God's sovereign will. What is God's will for my life? Where am I going to live five years from now? What kind of job am I going to have? Who am I going to marry? What's life going to look like? Well, that's going to play out in time. But what we need to focus on is not that so much as it's God's moral will. We oftentimes want to know, can I just know what's going to play out, you know, and, we, and we, we may look at things like, uh, you know, some feeling that we have. We may wish God put a billboard up that would just kind of direct us some way or, you know, eat some alphabet soup and see some word spelled out that makes it all make sense. I remember when I was a teenager, I'd read the story of Gideon. You remember the story of Gideon? What did he do to discern God's will? He put some wool out and said, you know, if it gets wet, you know, then I'll know this. If it doesn't, I'll know this. And we had this car wash mitt that was wool, and I was, I don't remember what I was trying to figure out, um, but I was like, man, I'm going to leave that outside and see what happens. You know what happened? It got wet every day because of the dew that comes, and I was like, oh, man, I guess I don't really know. That, that was a foolish understanding, right, of God's will. What God's will is, is that we know Him and that we live in obedience to what He has revealed, and we seek to make wise decisions, trusting that all that he has decreed in our life is going to play out for us. See, God's will is things like 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. 
That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Or, or 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and following, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know what God's will is for where you're going to live 10 years from now. I can tell you that 10 years from now based on where you're living. But I can tell you that it's God's will that you submit to authority and that you're sanctified and that you're rejoicing and giving thanks, trusting Him to unfold those things. Now, will you have to make decisions along the way? You bet. And you need to look to God's revealed will for those decisions. But that's what you are to seek to do. A carefully lived life is one that says, I want to live every area of life in accordance with the wisdom and will of God as revealed in this book. I want to know what it says about the details of life, and I want to live out those uh, commands and His wisdom and will in that way. Why should we seek to live that way? Why should you, sitting here tonight, say, tomorrow... I want to be careful how I walk. I want to be careful to live in accordance with what God has revealed. Notice how this verse begins back in verse 15. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk. You know, this therefore, I think, is really tied to the larger context of Ephesians, and it's tied to the immediate context of this verse. I want you to think first with me briefly about the larger context of Ephesians which reminds us that this therefore is essentially saying because of who Christ is and what He's done for you, because He is worthy, be careful how you walk. Ephesians really hinges on verse 1 of chapter 4 where it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The first three chapters of Ephesians detail the calling with which we have been called, if you're a Christian. The last half of Ephesians says this is how you walk worthy of that. This is how you live in light of that. Ephesians 1 begins with eternity past, with the fact that God has chosen those whom He set His love on to be adopted as His sons and daughters. Chapter 2 describes how that played out in time. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. How did that happen in time? Well, verse 8 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, it's because of God's grace, starting in eternity past and then being born out in time through the work of the Spirit, making you alive so that you responded to the message of the gospel with faith in Christ. And when you did that, you were forgiven of your sins, you were given new life, and you were united to other believers as a part of the body of Christ, according to chapter 2 and and chapter 3. You are no longer 
an isolated enemy of God. You are a part of the body of Christ, knit together with one another. And chapter 4 says, now live like it. Live out what God has done in your life. In recognition of, of what He's done for you, walk worthy of that. Live according to the, the family name, as it were. You know, if you, if you wear your, your Roots t-shirt out skiing, I wouldn't recommend that, at least not on the outside. Not until after we take the picture tomorrow night. But if you wear that shirt and people know you're, you're a part of this group, how should you act? Well, you should act in accordance with that group. You should live in a way that accurately represents. If you've played on, on a sports team or something, you put that jersey on, you know that I'm representing more than just me. I'm representing this team and my teammates. He says, walk worthy of Christ. Live out in your life the realities that God has begun in you in Him. Now, we don't do that on our own. Chapter 4 focuses on how God uses the church to help us to grow, to be more conformed to the image of Christ. And, and the end of chapter 4 describes how we grow in sanctification, putting off sin and renewing our mind and putting on righteousness. But all of that flows out of what God has done for us. So why should you live carefully? Not just so your life goes well, so when the rains come, your life is built on a solid foundation. You live that way because of who Christ is and what He's done. You say, man, I want to live every minute, every hour, every day of my life in accordance with God's wisdom and His will because of all that He has done for me so that He receives the glory. That's the larger context of Ephesians. But notice the immediate context. This therefore refers back specifically to what's come before this. And in chapter 5, we won't take the time to, to read all of it, but he, he moves from walking in love to the, the patterns of sin that a believer should put off. Notice in verse 3, things like immorality or impurity or greed are not even to be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there's to be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but the giving of thanks. But why is a Christian to put those things off? Why should those not characterize our life? Well, verse 5 says, you know, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. He says those who practice these things, they're not a Christian. In fact, it's, it's those who are sons of disobedience, verse 6 says, who live in this way. And they will be judged for what they do. And so we should not allow even a hint of these things in our lives because we should desire to live in accordance with God's will in the light, not in, in patterns of darkness. So he's talking about sin and the reality of sin and how deadly sin is, and the fact that God judges sin, and that as believers, we should be committed to abstain from all sin, to not allow even a hint of it in our life. So because of sin and its consequences, because of how deadly it is, and yet how subtly it can infiltrate our own hearts, we should be careful how we walk. You know, it's easy to make light of sin, to think, well, a little bit here and there won't matter too much. I'll generally try to walk according to God's will, but I'm not going to be, you know, too uptight about that. 
I remember a quote I read a number of years ago, probably when I was around your age. I don't remember the author, but he said something like, sin will always take you farther than you want to go, and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. We can think, I, I can just play a little bit with sin. The Bible says no. Not even a hint of this. Don't even mention these things. It's not to be a part of our life at all. And therefore, Paul says, be careful how you walk. Because Christ is worthy, because sin is so damning and deadly and destructive, be careful how you walk. Well, lastly tonight, I want us just to think a little bit about what keeps us from this, about the distraction from a carefully lived life. I hope tonight that each of you in this room would say, that's what I want. If you're not in that place, if you're here tonight and you say, you know what? I kind of want to live my own life, not God's. I don't want another authority telling me what to think or what to do. I want to make my own decisions. You need to repent of your rebellion against your creator. And you need to humble yourself and embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. But if you're here tonight and you say, no, that's what I want. I want to live carefully. The reality is it's hard. It's not easy to live in this manner. And Paul, in the verses surrounding this, helps us to see some of the things that make it a challenge so we can overcome it. One of them is just our own sinful desires and practices. The reality is, though we are new in Christ, we still struggle with sin with sinful hearts and desires. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 talks about this, how, how we used to live in, in all kinds of impurity and greediness, but, but that now we should set aside those things, the old self, and be renewed in, in the spirit of our mind and put on the new self. Those sinful desires and practices that used to characterize our life we need to intentionally seek to put those things off to renew our minds and to put on patterns of righteousness. But that's a process. There's a reason theologians call it progressive sanctification because it's not a, a switch that gets flipped. Kind of like learning to ski or snowboard. You get better, but you don't you know, instantaneously know how to ski as good as Barry or something like that. It's like, no, I, I have to go through a process of learning and getting better and thinking rightly and training my body to respond in certain ways. So it is with sanctification. If we're not committed to those things, we won't be careful how we walk. But it's also the influence of others. It's not just our own sin and practices, but we need to be careful about the influence of others. That's why in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse um, verse 6 and following, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. See, there's a temptation to do the things that others are doing that is sinful. Sometimes that temptation comes even within the body of Christ, but it's particularly a temptation to go along with those who are living in rebellion against God. He, he says, don't be partakers with them. Verse 11, do not participate 
in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Paul recognizes there's an attraction to sin that is heightened by the pressure of others around us. And so we have to guard against that. We have to be careful. We have to be willing to have the courage to say, you know what, I see you living that way. I see you making that decision. I see you talking that way, but I'm not going to get pulled along in that. I'm not going to be partakers and participate in that. Paul warns us of a third distraction as well. And in verse 18, after this section, notice verse 18, he says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. See, one hindrance or distraction from a carefully lived life is getting drunk, is, is the abuse of substances that control us instead of being controlled, as verse 18 says, by the Spirit of God, being filled with the Spirit through the influence of the Word of God. See, one of the reasons why drunkenness is a sin and is a significant sin is not simply in and of itself, but what it leads to. People do all kinds of really foolish things when they are intoxicated, when they're under the influence not of their own sound thinking, but of some substance. We need to guard against those influences in our life so that we can live a careful life of obedience to Christ. So my question for you tonight is, will you commit to be careful how you walk? to live a life that is intentionally based on and built on the wisdom of God and the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. And an intentionality to say, you know what, I'm just not going to be swept along. I'm not going to go through life just kind of surrounding myself with Christians and hoping I kind of get go along with that and, and live how Christ wants me to, but I'm going to be focused on that because Christ is worth it and sin is deadly and destructive I want to be intentional. I want to search carefully. I want to live accurately in light of what God has revealed. Guys, you're at a pivotal place in your life. You are beginning adulthood. The, the decisions you make today and tomorrow and next week and next month, the patterns of life that characterize you now will reverberate throughout your life. Base them on God's word. Be eager to understand the will and wisdom of God and build your life like the wise man on that rock. And listen to the counsel of those who have gone before you. You know, the reality is you don't get a do-over yourself, but there are people who, who are living at a stage of life who wish they got a do-over, but the best they can do is impart the wisdom that they've learned that they wish they knew at your stage of life to you at your stage of life. There's people in this room who are older than you. There's people in the church. Filled, the church is filled with people who are older than you, some of whom made real wise decisions at your stage of life, some of whom didn't. But many mature believers who love to to interact with you and to impart God's wisdom to you. Listen to them. Be eager for that counsel. Be eager to be careful how you live. Because you have only one life. Make the most of it. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Tomorrow night, we'll focus on verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Let's pray together. 
Our Father, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. We thank you that you have given us all that we need for life and godliness. You've given us your will and the wisdom by which we should live. And yet, Lord, it's so easy for us to take that for granted. It's so easy for us to just go carelessly through life, living according to our own feelings or popular opinion. Lord, help us to be careful how we walk, to search the scriptures, to be diligent students of the scriptures, to be eager to hear and understand the scriptures taught and the wise counsel of godly believers so that we can apply that in our lives. I thank you for each of these students. I thank you for their being on this trip. I know it's no accident, Lord, that they're here. And I know for many of them, they're here because they want to be careful how they live. They want your wisdom. And I thank you for that. And I pray that you would only deepen their appetite for that and their knowledge of you and your word. And yet, Lord, I know there are some here who, who are here for different reasons. Maybe they enjoy skiing or snowboarding, or they just wanted to be away and have a good time. I pray that you would convict them, that they would see their need of a savior, and that you would, because of that work in their life, motivate them to live according to your ways. Lord, use your word tonight and in the coming nights to, to shape our thinking, to impact how we live for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.